no, more than six weeks, but over the last 10-ish weeks, we've been talking about the mission statement at South Rock Christian Church, this idea that we are helping people find and follow Jesus. And right from the beginning, this idea of finding Jesus, it is of utmost importance because we must choose him, we must find him to be able to be saved for eternity. Otherwise, everything else doesn't matter. Like that is what is kind of ground level importance. But then we talked about as we find him, then our lives are continually being changed and transformed as we follow after him and he continues to work on us. And we talked about all these different areas, such as we give him our past and our, and our story and just watch him work in our future. We talked about our marriages and our families. We looked at how we use our time and money and work and recreation, even the idea of our mind and what our mindset is and what we allow in and what we don't allow in. And a lot of these areas are individual. What I mean by that is you alone control how you're going to do these things, how you're going to follow God with those areas. A couple of them have to do with a small group, such as your family or your marriage. There are things that you control, but there are also things that other people, you know, how much are they going to follow God with too. But today, the topic falls into a much larger group, and that is the church. And I wonder, have you ever heard the phrase, I like Jesus, but not the church? Like maybe you've not heard those exact words, but the idea. And in those situations, for some reason, people like Jesus. They like the ideas of who he is and what he does, what he represents. But the church, that's something different. And maybe you could ask, well, why exactly? And there's all sorts of reasons for that. For instance, some people would say, I don't like church because I think it's boring. All right. They may say, I don't feel like I'm challenged in the the messages, that they don't interest me. I don't connect through the songs. And so I'm just kind of standing there. And so church to me is boring. So I I don't want to have any part of that. For instance, some people will tell you that when I go to church, I feel unwelcome. Like no one says hi to me, or I don't really know where my place is. And so I just kind of feel like an outsider or even more than that. Sometimes you'll hear people say, I feel judged. Because I walk around, I feel like everyone is looking at me and I'm just different. Sometimes people say, well, I was hurt by a previous church, and so I just don't want to put myself out there again to go through that again. And so I'm just going to continue loving Jesus, but not be part of a church. Sometimes you'll hear things such as, I feel like the leadership is fake. And what I mean by that is I listen to people speak and teach these lessons, but then I look at them and, and it doesn't look like their lifestyle matches up with the things that they're teaching. Or sometimes I think about every lo- everybody loves Raymond and the jokes about the deacons, you know, and hey, you had the, G- the deacon in title, but then like during church service, you'd be outside or out in the hallways and not doing things that you were supposed to be doing. And so like, I don't want to follow a group of leaders that doesn't match up with what they're teaching. And so some people would say, no, nope, I'll take Jesus, but not the church. Sometimes people talk about the church being just stuck in the past. Like as I look at it, like the way that they do things, and when you ask, why do you do it that way? It's like, well, that's the way we've always done it. And so that's the way they do it. Or even the messages, it comes from this book that's really old. And so I just don't feel like they're relevant. And I feel like it's stuck in the past. Or you can flip it to the other extreme. that I feel like the church is trying to be too much like the world. Like, do you listen to the music they play? or look at the gimmicky things they do, or I don't feel like they're teaching any truth. It's just making you feel good. And so I like the idea is come as you are, but then like you're okay to let people just leave as they are. Like there's no truth being taught. And so I don't want to be part of a church like that. Sometimes people are like, I just don't want to talk to anybody else. Like I'm an introvert. I've got my people at home. Like I don't really want to get to know other people or let them know what's going on in me. So I just don't want to be part of church. 
Or you'll get the idea that organized religion, that's not what Jesus designed, so why do I need to be part of this? And so sometimes there is this idea that I can be a Christian and not go to church. In fact, you maybe have heard the saying, going to church doesn't make you any more of a Christian than being in a garage makes me a car. Like just because I'm there, it doesn't make me a Christian. And so some people have this viewpoint that I can love Jesus without the church. You can also do the pendulum swing again and have the extreme opposite view of some people. And the other viewpoint is, if you're not going to everything the church does, or at least almost everything, then you're not a good Christian. Like the thought process is, if you really love Jesus, then church activity should take priority over everything else. And one idea that can be tied into this is this thing that everything spiritual takes place in the house of God. Like that's the only place that he works. And so there are these two extreme ideas that involve Jesus in the church, neither which is completely healthy. One author spoke to it as having a rebel attitude against the church or just this rule keeper attitude that that's what I have to do. You know what? I don't like the church, so I'm going to distance myself from her. Or church is the only place that God works. And in having the right view of church with this Christianity thing, we have to avoid individualism and institutionalism because both miss the heart of what God desires for his church. Now, you see, there is a role of the church that is designed for each person to experience and to be part of, but at the same time, God also works in every single one of us individually. I like this quote I came across. It said, conversion is an individual experience that is intended to become a congregational reality because following Jesus is both an individual thing and a communal thing. The church and Jesus They're each unique entities, and yet they are so tightly knit together. In fact, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. He loves her. And over and over again in the New Testament, you see the local church being the expression of Christianity. And you look at the book of Acts, you see the birth of the church, and that's where we get its spreading growth to the nations all around. Within those recordings, you see people finding Jesus, choosing him, being baptized. And it says the church grew by such and such a number or such and such a number because individuals were important to being able to understand the group as a whole. If you look at the epistles, which are basically the letters that are part of our Bible, they were written to churches or they were written about churches. Even the book of Revelation is written to the seven churches. You see, the church in the New Testament It's a big deal. Now, I probably should stop just for a moment, either remind you of this or teach you this if you haven't heard it before. But when we're talking about the church, it's not a building. The church, or in Greek, the ekklesia, means a group who gathers for a specific purpose. Because Jesus did not come to die for a building. He came to save people. And as we properly grasp what the church is, or maybe who the church is, it changes what we mean when we say, I'm going to church. You see, it's a lot easier to stop showing up at a place than to disconnect from a group of people who intimately know you and love you and support you. 
I mentioned the Bible refers to the church as the bride of Christ, but there's also some other analogies that it uses, so we're going to look at those to kind of help us grasp who the church is. For instance, we are called a building in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, get out uh, and turn there to Ephesians chapter 2. But even as I say that, you might be going, wait, wait, you just said the church is not a building, and now we're turning to Ephesians 2 because the church is a building? Well, yes. You see, in Ephesians 2, we're looking at the people The people are becoming this structure. And so Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 is what we're looking at as Paul says that we are a building. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22 says this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but your fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together and become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This entire building that the church, the people of God are built on is Jesus. He is the cornerstone. And so I want to picture yourself as a brick. You are a brick. You can be blue, green, whatever you want, but I want you to picture yourself as a brick, and you have an important part to play, but it's not just you. It is all of us coming together to create this building. That's who God says that we are, and so yes, individually we know that as we choose Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of us, but this text even tells us that together God's Spirit is present as the church honors Him and lives for Him. So the entire church is a building. But there's also other analogies. If you were to go to 1 Peter, so that's 11 books later, you can turn there. 1 Peter chapter 5, the church is also referred to as a flock, as a flock. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to read the first four verses. And you need to know that this section of scripture, he's talking to some of the leaders of the church. Okay, right from the beginning, you need to understand this. And so in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, he says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown, the crown of glory that will never fade away. And so he talks to the elders. And he says, you are shepherds, but you are not the main shepherd. You are still under the chief shepherd who is Jesus. And your responsibility is to care for the flock. You are to be an example to them. That's not the only time we read about this. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking. He says, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the shepherd for the sheep. I protect them. I lay down my life for them. And so every single one of us is a sheep. And we read in scripture that, you know what? Jesus leaves the 99 to go find the one because the one is important to him. And at the same time, he still cares 
for the flock. And so you and I, as we are part of the church, we are this flock that he desperately wants to lead, and he wants even led well. The final entity of the church that we're looking at today is compared to a body. And it's probably the one that we hear the most, but in uh, Colossians 3.15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Or in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, it says, For just as each one of us has one body, and with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, though many... We form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others. And as you hear that, all of us come together to form the body of Christ because we don't all have the same function or the same purpose to carry out because every single one of us is uniquely made. In fact, it's probably most explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is our longest text of the evening, or I guess it's morning still. See, that hour throws me off. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 12 and see what is it that Paul says about us being the body of Christ. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12. And so here it goes. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its, all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. Or if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Or if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You know, all of us together, we make up the body of Christ. Each one of us has a part to play. And some of you might consider yourself a mouth because you speak out for Jesus or you teach a lot. Some of you might consider yourself a hand because you serve and help people. Some of you maybe would consider yourself a foot because you go out and meet the needs of people wherever they are. Maybe you're an ear because you listen, or you're a heart because you have compassion on people. 
Maybe you'd be like, I'm part of the spine because I'm kind of behind the scenes, but I also help everything to run smoothly. Maybe you're like, I don't know, so maybe I'm the belly button because like everybody's got one. And so you're trying to figure out what is your part. But I want you to know that we all have a part to play in the body of Christ. Together, we make something bigger that is just one of us. And so individually, I need you to know that you have a purpose. But together, we make up the body. And no one part is any less important than another. And maybe in a world that is full of comparisons, that's what you need to hear this morning. That you are important. You know what I think about these different things, and maybe you've heard from the scriptures why the church is important, but I want to point out two reasons just in case you haven't got these things. The first thing is this. The church allows us to connect. The church allows us to connect. For one, we get to connect with God. You know what? We, we come to meet together. We get to learn about God from other people, whether it's from a service like this, whether you're meeting in a small group and there are discussions where people are saying, this is who God is, and you're opening up the word, whether you're talking about, this is the way that God is working in my life. This is how I see him working. We learn about God, and so those moments bring us closer to him. Or maybe it's even just coming together to worship as a body. You know what? Corporate worship can be very moving. And I, I know some of you can hit every note as you're singing in the car or in the shower, and it sounds great. But there is something to be said about all of us coming together and lifting up in one voice praise to Him. We're able to connect with God as we come together. We're also able to connect with other people because there are still moments where you're able to connect with God on your own. But you cannot relate with other people if you just choose to do everything by yourself. In fact, one effect of COVID that we came to understand is how much we need to connect to other people. Like even if you're an introvert, we have this desire for some sort of community. In fact, I'll tell you, that's even one of the dangers of having online church, that we can get the content that we maybe need, but we miss the connection with others if that is the only source of church that we do. And I know some of our people who are watching online, they're doing it to make sure that they can stay safe. And they've also figured out ways, though, that I need to be able to stay in touch with other people. And so they're writing notes. They're praying for one another. They're still doing studies over the phone or by Zoom because they know that it is a priority to make sure that I stay connected to the church. And this may be the key ingredient that people miss if they say, I love Jesus but not the church. They miss connection. And an arm all by itself is ineffective. A brick all by itself builds nothing. A sheep that wanders off all by itself will be in danger. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 say, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to keep meeting together so that you might encourage and be encouraged at the same time. 
Now, this last week, I listened to one of the sessions that the women got to hear at the IF gathering. And uh, in that session, the speaker was talking about community and how our culture doesn't do a very good job of that. And she said, we're the loneliest generation that has ever lived. And even coming off of this recent pandemic, it was not something that was helpful. But she said, some of that comes naturally by the way we live. We have fences, we have alarms, we have garage door openers and closers, those kind of things. We don't go to our neighbors and just borrow anything anymore. You know, Amazon's there, so it's like, hey, you know, and have this delivered. We keep things to ourselves. We don't really share what's going on in our life, especially if it's a burden. We may don't want someone else to know this. And yet the Bible is all about community. God is in relationship with himself. It's not good for man to be alone. You know, nations and people were, uh, were appearing. You see Israel being taught how to live with one another. And even after Jesus comes, you see churches popping up where people can live in community, encouraging and being encouraged as they live this life. And so we need other people in our lives to fight for us. We need other people in our lives to fight alongside of us, to help us, to speak truth for us, and help us to see things that we can't see ourselves. Like we need to have those moments where we're completely vulnerable because it meets a need that we have. Because at that moment that I get to be real, I don't have to wear this mask anymore. And in that moment, hopefully someone will be real with me. In fact, the speaker of that session said, think about the five people who have most influenced you in your life. And she said, there's a good chance that those are people that you interact with, you talk with, you laugh with, you cry with. Maybe it's someone who taught you while you still had a relationship with them. But most likely, it's not someone that you see on a TV screen. It's not someone even up on a stage because there is give and take. There's vulnerability and it met a need that you have. She said, in the past, people lived in villages where they needed one another And so they relied upon each other, not just to live, but literally survive. And so they worked together through the ups and the downs. But nowadays, if someone hurts us, it is easy to quit them, to quit them and end the relationship. If someone doesn't agree with you, maybe someone said something bad about you behind your back. Someone didn't keep your secret. Maybe someone is just liked by another friend more than you are. Or maybe they were able to accomplish something greater than you did. Even someone who has been close to us for years, it can be our response to quit the relationship instead of trying to work things out because people are messy. In fact, we're messy. And it takes effort to lean upon one another and to forgive. But what if we really strive for this community with other people and connecting with them? And so when they're going through something, I simply sit across from them and say, I'm not leaving this room. I am here for you no matter what. Let's figure it out. Can you feel the power in that? As awkward as it may be, can you feel just even the, ah, I want that. And yet even with that, she finished her sermon with this personal testimony saying that while at this conference teaching, there was a friend that she had that there was tension going on. They had a disagreement about something. They were communicating through text, which is always a great idea. But that's what they were doing. And finally, she's like, I'm just right. And she was going to go up and finally have this conversation with her and say, this is what you need to know. And then she opened the door and just saw her friend weeping. And they spent time working through it. But she said, if I were not teaching on this subject, I would have just swept it under the rug. 
which I think goes to show us how difficult this really is to play out. Oh, it's one thing to sit here in a room and go, yes, let's do that. Let's live in community. But it's a whole nother thing to actually do it because true community takes work. But you and I, we were created to connect. And there are going to be toxic people that are around you that you do need to set up specific boundaries with. But I would imagine there's probably some people in your life who were healthy people, but they were just sinners that you've cut out of your life because of one moment. Let's as the church, let's not quit people. Let's live in connection with this church the way that God designed it. And sometimes that means having hard discussions or having hard questions. Maybe it means we're going to lean upon one another. I'm going to be brave enough to ask for help. I'm going to be humble enough to take the things that are brought up in accountability. I'm going to be honest, over the last few months, I've had some emails, some conversations that have been pretty hard within the church. And you know what? Whether everyone ended up agreeing by the end of the conversation is not the point. But the outcome of a lot of those meetings were moments of crying, moments of healing, moments of this is what I needed. Because we all just want to be real. We want to connect, and that is one of the reasons why God created the church. And so will you take the opportunities to connect? Will you allow other people to connect with you? Or are you going to try to live life as the Lone Ranger, just you and Jesus? Well, maybe you're even thinking, though, I like this idea, but, you know, the church isn't perfect, so I don't know if I can do that. Charles Spurgeon once said, if I had never joined a church until I found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. And still, as imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. You know what? One reason the church is so important is because it provides connection, and that's messy, and it's beautiful all at the same time. The second reason that the church is so important is the church allows us to serve. It allows us to serve. And just as connecting was both with God and others, so is serving God and others. And so we get to serve God. And yes, there are opportunities to serve God apart from the church, which goes back to disproving that idea that only spiritual things happen in the church. But there's also opportunities to serve within the church. And when you serve, it connects you with God in a way that you will not experience if you never serve. In serving, we become like Jesus, who, in his own words, did not come to be served, but to serve. In serving, there are situations that you learn about God's truth on a completely different level than just understanding something. Or we rely upon his strength in a way that we might not if we hadn't served. In serving, it becomes a lot more about him and less about us. The church gives me a space to be able to serve God. But like I said, it also allows us to serve other people. We read about how God made each of us individually. We all have a part to play. And in Ephesians 3 and Romans 12, it talks about these spiritual gifts that God gives to us. But the reason he gives them to us is so that we may serve other people. So when I use those to serve other people, it teaches me humility while I'm able to come alongside of others in whatever need, whatever situations they're in. When we choose to serve as a body, whether that's 
putting on a service in the morning or evening, whether it's preparing for a Bible study, whether it's hosting an event with students after a football game, whether it's loving on infants and giving their parents a chance to connect with God, whether it's serving with people in the community at their homes, we show them a glimpse of Jesus. And maybe they take the opportunity to find Him. There's so many places to serve within the church. And again, that doesn't mean this building, and it doesn't even mean just the people at South Rock, because remember, the church is bigger than that. And so in what ways can you use your talents and your abilities, your time, to serve alongside the body outside of the church building? Maybe it's giving to or volunteering with a local mission, maybe one that we support. Maybe you're attending or serving community-wide church events, not just South Rock events. Maybe you're looking for the needs that you have at home, at work, and trying to figure out, how can I serve these people? Or what about at South Rock itself? Where can I serve? Well, how about facilitating a small group or a Bible study or investing in teenagers or teaching children or being an assistant in a kid's classroom or leading worship from stage or in a classroom? using your tech skills to help with worship service, helping those who are hurting by being a Stevens minister, praying for people through the prayer list or even at decision point, helping with baptisms, welcoming people as they enter into our building for weekend services, being an usher, helping people find seats, helping families check in their children, working security at events, coordinating with those in the service to make sure everything runs smoothly, being part of our missions team, mowing the grass, answering the phone, writing notes of encouragement, visiting those in hospitals or nursing homes or even shut-ins, coaching, refereeing, giving a devotion or announcing at Upward Games, working the concession stand, driving a bus or a van for trips, making food for events or working at the coffee bar, serving at funeral dinners, helping with kids' events like Kids Camp and VBS, counting the weekly offering, setting out communion, locking up the buildings each night, maybe even shoveling the sidewalks when it snows the third time in a month, each time when it was 70 degrees two days beforehand, hypothetically. Like I hear all these places to serve, and I want you to see, as important as the great day of service is, service is much more than a one-time-a-year event. The church you do not just attend church. You are the church. And part of following Jesus well is moving from consumer to contributor. It means moving from only being served to how can I serve? All because Jesus served us. Jesus. He chose to die for messy people. He chose to connect with others and serve them. He chose to connect with the Father and to serve Him. And maybe even as you're sitting there, you're like, where do I even start with all this that you're talking about? Well, here's what I would tell you. First, if you're not connected, find a group. And that may be a small group, but that also may be finding two people in the church saying, let's get together and be real because I need to connect. This idea of connection is a huge deal, and especially in a, quote, big church where it's easy to come sit and then leave. We need to make sure that we are connecting. So if you haven't done that, find someone to connect with. Secondly, if you're not serving, find a place to serve. And if you're not sure where, talk to people and say, hey, what should I do? And and give something a try. And you know what? I need you to know that when you're choosing to serve somewhere, it's not like you're signing on a dotted line for the rest of your life, that this is where I'll always be. 
but maybe you need to go check out our service wall on the fireside and just look again, where is the place that I can serve? And if you need to wade into the water slowly of this serving thing, well, maybe I'll do a little bit. Instead of just jumping off a diving board, then that's okay as long as you start somewhere. How can I serve people around me? Because when you do, you will connect with Jesus in a whole new way that we talked about earlier. And others may find Jesus because you faithfully chose to serve him through the church. Hmm, The church. Jesus loves the church. So much so that he died for her. He died for you. So that you could be connected with him for eternity. And so if today is the day that you're saying, I believe all of this. I believe this truth that Jesus died for me. I confess that I'm one of those messy sinners, that my life has not been perfect. I repent. I choose to follow after him. I want to be part of his church. I want to be part of his community forever. And then during this next song, I would encourage you, if that's you, to make your way to one of these decision points. I also want you to know the decision points are always open for prayer needs. But church, let's do our best to connect Let's do our best to serve as we await the groom, as we await for him to return for us. And so let's live every moment for him. Let's stand as we sing today.